This recording was made on Goringai Country, Northern Beaches, New South Wales. It's the only way that you can describe what a person is, describe what they do. There doesn't seem to be much job satisfaction or pleasure in this picture. Ryan Ray and Elaine Howden are over a quarter of a million pounds in debt, but they're still spending. You've got a setup of a restaurant, big coffee machine, espresso. <sighs> Expensive bit of quit this, no? Uh, You've got a setup of a restaurant, big coffee machine, espresso. Espresso. <sighs> now, um, we have to ask one uh, oneself whether what whether what we just heard was real uh, or in fact whether it was just another hilariously like this is such a deep level of comedy i think that the writers of um Gordon Ramsay Studios have come up with in creating this whole this whole enterprise of fabricating stories in order to convey lessons about climate change and so like the fact that there's no way Gordon Ramsay says espresso. There's just no way. Uh, there's just absolutely no way. So, so that's how we know that. There, I mean, I've been banging on about it for some time now, and and presumably you're up to speed. But just in case you're not, we need to we need to just be clear with one another about just exactly who Gordon Ramsay is to us, which is actually the environmental prophet. Um, Messiah, or some such, because he's just he's just pouring an entire career and an, an entire life into just ripping people into the present moment and getting them to care about things, and that's pretty much. I mean, guys, we're Brian and Elaine Hausman. Is that what he is that their name? Listen to this. I mean, come on. And Elaine Howden are over Howden. a quarter of a million pounds in debt, but they're still spending. That is as if that's not human beings. Uh, on planet 2023 we're quarter of a million infinite dollars in debt but we keep spending we're after paying things non-stop even though we know our account is in zero uh, sorry less than zeros in the minuses there was no other way that we could start this episode uh, of um, trash talking to yourself podcast studios uh, than that than that exquisite little excerpt that I've sourced for you um, and and in fact, and in fact, just perfectly represents a really pressing issue that we must address immediately, which is again, not for the first time, uh, electric foils in the surf. Because you see, so I I almost got decapitated by one very recently, and I'm like perversely happy to say that I actually had witnesses. Like my friends Jimmy and Jock were both there; they both saw it. And it's not just me hyperbolizing uh, a, a near-death experience that was, in fact, you know, 100 meters away and just me full of rage at people riding them. Uh, this was a very real, like, actually, this guy, like, caught a... I don't know what he was doing. Like, what is the difference between a jet ski and an electric foil if they're in the lineup, they've both got motors, and they are both frequently piloted by people with seemingly not the requisite um, hand-eye coordination or um, presumably IQ to actually safely use one uh, in within a 200 metres or whatever the rule is of 
um, ocean pedestrians like me. And so this guy's catching waves in the lineup. And so obviously I'm fuming already. And then, and then got on a wave and there's just, if you don't surf, there is nothing scarier than an intermediate surfer taking off in front of you on a large piece of equipment no matter what the equipment is, because when you see, you can just tell immediately from someone's paddling style, where they've positioned themselves to take off and wh- like whether there is a huge amount of terror in their eyes when they see you. That's the scary moment. Oh my Lord. That is the scary moment is when you lock eyes and you realize how scared they are and you're like, no, 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 Bruce, Bruce. Hello, mate. Like I'm the scared one here. You're, you're in control. This is entirely up to you. What happens here? I can move it about, I don't know, five meters um, an hour and you're about to start moving at 50 or like 70. Like Wayne, the different guy, Bruce was just on a like a soft top mid-length, which is actually just a hard board wrapped in um, deceitful soft foam, but actually still capable of really injuring your face. And Wayne was the guy on the foil. And so Wayne's fallen off so close to me. Not only did he almost then um, separate my cranium from my torso, but then, so I, I had no time to really um, feel feelings about it anyway, because the second wave was coming in was a much better wave. Um, and I took off. And then of course there's like Wayne in a whole field of debris. Wayne created a miniature version of the great Pacific garbage patch with himself and all of his devices. And then just completely interfered with my wave after having almost nearly killed me. And that he had a paddle and an electric foil. He was like rolling around on this foil and just rest like gently resting the paddle on his gut and i like i was really conflicted about that when i was watching from a distance already fuming from a distance before he actually came up right in my personal space in a very life-threatening way but i was wondering like whether actually maybe i should like wayne because he's got the paddle in case the foil breaks down out to sea and creates a huge problem for everyone else So maybe he's trying to insulate himself from inconveniencing others. And in which case that's kind of like a mitigating factor a little bit for, um, well, for like one of the stupidest users of resources that human beings are yet to accomplish, which is electric foils. And so anyway, by the time Wayne was like on top of me, so, so that rattled me a lot. And then I saw a guy carrying one on the footpath the other day, this huge electric foil and by carrying I mean like properly lugging on a huge angle on one shoulder, giving himself some sort of clavicle injury, but lugging this thing around. And he just didn't look like someone I'd want to have coffee with at all. I wouldn't want to actually even really exchange many sentences at all with that guy, let alone some sort of prolonged interaction. Because I, just from looking at him, if we're not going to be talking about his amazing new electric foil, because he's now a man of the ocean, apparently, I bet we would have just been talking about cryptocurrencies and Teslas or dumb real estate shit. And we just need to outlaw them quick smart. It's just enough is enough. And I suppose this is just a really um, spontaneous reiteration of the dumb shit segment, which we've kind of lapsed on a little bit here at TTS Studios. But this is, I mean, we have acknowledged electric foils as some of the dumbest shit that we're doing along with passenger space flights and what have you. But now I think it's just vaulted right back to the top of the list. This is just absolutely unacceptable, guys. Don't like this. Go away, fuck you. Holy So, I mean, with this pressing bulletin out of the way, what we can do is definitely just for a hot second here, 
celebrate um, celebrate the joy of surfing because I've been able to do it again having been sidelined by injury and I think like it's been I've really like met Jesus all over again uh, or however you want to describe it because I think I got a bit desensitized as time wore on couldn't surf it kind of I almost like I almost regret to say this it almost began to get a bit easier over time the longer you go without it you know you're just like oh well maybe it can't have been as good as I remember it maybe I'm not actually missing out on everything I knew I was missing out on the second the injury happened and then back into it and I realized like what an enormous gaping black hole of doom um, not surfing left in my life for a, for a thankfully touch the wood quickly um, thankfully quite a short period of time compared to some people just never get in the sea. How not that amazing? That's just like the most ultimate perspective, privilege, reality check. That there's 40-year-old people out there, heaps of them, heaps of them. Men's and women's and like 40-year-old children. There's heaps of people out there who have just never been in the sea. And then meanwhile, I live within a, like such a short distance to, to such a fun piece of sea. Um, and then start whinging about when I can't do the specific activity in it that I want to do the most. Because uh, I can still swim, and I went body surfing, and that was all good. But, God, it just feels so good to be surfing. Yes. So good. I just, I could not be, I just could not be happier to be back surfing. Um, except for the moment when I almost got decapitated by Wayne. But I mean, we've got that behind us now, don't we? So, so I suppose we can just crack straight into uh, an update on Emu Parade because I mentioned a few episodes ago I was going to launch a crowdfunding campaign to finish building Trish, get some carbon neutral coffee powered cleanups going, and it's up. It's all happening, um, and it's uh, it's terrifying and fantastic, and. Mainly terrifying, but also mainly just so unbelievably fantastic. It's like, this is a thing that you can do. You can just close your eyes, think for ages, wait until you encounter um, a, an idea that you think is worth trying to manifest in the three-dimensional realm, and then and then frame that um, in a package that you then present to the internet, and then ask the internet, um, dear internet, would you please help me with this, uh, bring this idea to life? And then the internet says, yeah, no worries, mate. Even though it's two weeks before Christmas and you're nobody, um, here's 16 grand already of the $45,000 that I need to finish Trish. So I'm just like, I just have to pinch myself every day. So if this is you, if you're listening and you've contributed, you've just thought nice thoughts about it even, Hopefully you would have maybe told someone about it, even if you couldn't contribute. But whatever you've done to support uh, this actually happening, we can't. We appreciate it. Trish and I just both. I can't express our gratitude. She's nodding right now. I mean, I'm sitting in the cabin, and we're both like we both know what's coming, and we just can't wait to see it and to share it with everybody all at once. Like it only works by by sharing it with as many people as possible, uh, which I suppose begins with this crowdfunding with the GoFundMe. Thank you and and please keep sharing it because this is just like, I can't wait to give it all back. Some days I get in a bit in my head thinking like, oh, well, who am I to just turn around and ask the world for so much money? But it really is. This is, this is a registered charity called Emu Parade and every dollar of this is going to be returned back to the community 
in some way, shape or form, whether it's a cup of coffee or rubbish pulled off the beach. Simple as that. Uh, Trish, on the other hand, is a little bit under the weather right now. I was having a few issues with the veggie oil system. Well, not a few. I had one, I had no issues for so long. And then all of a sudden, I was driving home from work and I just lost all fuel pressure. And my accelerator was just flat to the floor and nothing happening, losing pressure. So I switched back, turned the pump off and diesel started flowing again and it was all good. And I managed to um, escape a disaster. Uh, but not really a disaster. I mean, I just like would have slowly coasted to a stop and then had a little panic moment to myself and then hopefully resolved the issue. But, but I managed to resolve it very quickly just by virtue of the simplicity of this system and flick it back to diesel was all good, but I couldn't figure out why it happened. So I went through two, like I changed both of the fuel filters that I've installed and changed out a breather hose that I thought might have been kinking or blocked or something because it really it felt really similar to the last problem I had the first problem I had with the last truck the last conversion that I did where there was no air supply to the veggie tank so the fuel was being pumped or being pulled into a vacuum and wasn't pumping and was just starving the motor of fuel and it's just this like horrible it feels like your car has indigestion if it's this horrible feeling and you then you feel a little bit a little bit of it too so psychosomatic is that what that is auto it's auto it's autosomatomaticism where autosomatomaticism is where you um well it um anthropomorphize uh, a vehicle into a very real human like character uh and begin experiencing symptoms of their life um fictional though it may be for them and so then how fictional really is it in the end if you begin, we'll go down that rabbit hole another time, but it's not a nice feeling. And so I finally figured out what it is. And the reason, oh, there's a good reason why uh, I'm going to this level of obscure, inane detail to tell you about this, because I just think the conclusion that I've come to, I've just been pissing myself in the surf all alone. Like I realized it for the first time in the surf uh, and just started cacking myself. So there's a, there's a pump that I've installed. It's a metal small automotive fuel pump that I turn on when I switch over to veggie oil. I realized two things about this pump. Number one, I never checked whether it was rated for continuous duty. It might have just like a maximum duty cycle of 15, 20, 30 minutes. And I've been running it for hours on end on the highway. Um, not a huge, I mean, like, I mean, it hasn't blown up, but the, the other thing about it is it's made of metal and it is passing heated oil. And heated veggie oil on a metal surface, as we all know, creates a residue. A nasty, greasy, sticky residue that sits on top of range hoods and underneath gas burners and barbecues all across Australia. Uh, it's just this horrible, oily residue. And I realized that in sending hot oil through this metal automotive pump that cycles from cold to hot to back to cold again, repeatedly every day when I drive it, I reckon what I've been doing is building up a really thick, rich layer of grease in the suction strainer and also the pump itself and completely retarding the flow of fuel because there's just literally, if you imagine the radius of the fuel hose goes from 13 mil to 10 mil to eight to five to suddenly the, the grease must be just so thick that there's barely any fuel getting through, which is what's starving it. And if this isn't just the most rich, irony 
that a man who idolizes Gordon Ramsay so much could experience. Guys, I'm a dirty pig. That's the that's the moral of the story is uh, if Gordon Ramsay was here and he knew all of this, I can just see him. He's in the kitchen. He's running his hand along the top of the range hood, shamelessly scooping up big handfuls of like gross Homer Simpson grease out of the grease traps that haven't been cleaned in 13 years and just going, you filthy pig, how can you live with yourself? <laughs> and I think that's what's been happening to my veggie oil car. So, so I just... Listen... I know you may be slightly stupid. It's, uh, you know what it is again? It's, it's this all over again. I think we need Chef Ramsey's help because we don't know what the fuck we're doing. I think we need Chef Ramsey's help because that's me, baby. I don't know what the flick I'm doing, but we're just having a crack anyway. And so far, so good, except for a month ago when it started happening. But hey, we found a resolution. And it is just the most sumptuously, delightfully ironic conclusion I could have, why, that I couldn't imagine. <laughs> After a disastrous dinner service the night before, Chef Ramsay offers some words of encouragement. You were cooking like fucking idiots. That's true, we were. Um, but we're back on top now. We're switched on. We've got clean whites. We're ready to go. Uh, we will be when we get a replacement pump and devise some way of flushing it out with diesel. Uh, we'll get there. But the point is, thank you very much for supporting Emu Prad, GoFundMe, uh, and Trish. And it's all very, it's all terribly exciting, isn't it? That's what it is. I'm just, I think I've, I'm like the sun. I just want to meet Chef's Ramses, but I have too much zeal for my own good sometimes. And uh, yeah, egg on my face. Uh, at this, at this point in the broadcast, um, I'd like to. Well, I'd like to pay acknowledgement and tribute to to very to people who actually listen. I've had enough people come up now who suggest that they have or who have made references, some subtle, some not so subtle, that people there's actually people listening. Not just you. <laughs> Probably just you right now. Like it's not many people. But there's enough. There's enough to reference a few of them. So thank you, Fryzy. Thank you, Pav. Thank you, Jez. Jez knows who he is. Actually, maybe Jez doesn't know who he is because Jez is actually Gen um, Jez Gerard Rennick. Gerard Rennick is a Liberal National Party senator. And so I'm assuming he listens. He may not. Hopefully he hears it one day. But, but Senator Rennick has an incredibly active YouTube profile and is, uh, I think, he considers himself really the voice of the people. He is articulate. He's relatable. I'm just so I'm not so sure about the questions that he focuses on, and I'm also not sure about the video finishes because there's always twenty seconds of um, like like a credit reel of himself because it's him. It's just him. <laughs> but there's like twenty seconds of Senator Rennick, voice of the fucking probably rural Victoria somewhere. I don't, I don't actually know, but I watched a video. Of him grilling, I think I think he thinks he was grilling someone. We'll just listen to it, and I think you'll know exactly why we need to talk about it. Uh, I had a conversation with Gavin Morris a couple of years ago about the way the ABC reports the increase in temperature from 1910. Uh, the ABC, like many other uh, media organisations, reports the homogenised data from the ABC Oops. without actually explaining the difference between the homogenised data oh, and the raw data. And Gavin Morris stressed that the data 
they reported the raw data. That is incorrect. The ABC reports the homogenised data. So I'll ask this question again. Why won't the ABC distinguish between the raw data and the actual homogenised data that has been, that is a different data set to the actual observations recorded by the Bureau? Uh, now, what do we just hear? Homogenised data. There's so much to unpack here, isn't there? Uh, okay, so <laughs> can we, can we, to begin with, let's actually address exactly what Senator Rennick is asking. Because I've gone and done some research on this. So captivating have I found it. Um, the use of the word homogenised which we all think is, pr we're pretty sure that's homogenized, actually, Jez. Uh, let's talk about what he's actually referring to, which is homogenized temperature data versus raw temperature data. <clears throat> Why won't the ABC report the raw data instead of the homogenized? Sorry, they have, since 1910, they have been reporting the homogenized data and saying they have been reporting the raw data. Now, Gavin Morris stressed to, stressed to me that. It, there's something about it. it. It's got permanent real estate in my brain now. Um, but, but so I've gone and researched what the issue is. Now, so far as I can ascertain, Senator Gerard Rennick here is uh, voraciously arguing for his right to manipulate climate data because homogenization of temperature records is about, it's to rule out, I think to put it most simply, Homogenizing, da homogenizing data <clears throat> is for ruling out outliers that would otherwise corrupt the integrity of a data set. So the idea that... So we're taking temperature records at Cuba PD, for example. Say, let's just, for, let's just throw out a random hypothetical, pretty hot place, the old Cuba PD, probably around 25, 30 in the middle of winter, pushing 50 in the middle of summer. And say, say just for examples that... Um, the where, where they take the temperature is next to Mick's house. And the CSIRO people or the science people, the scientism, the scientisms come out maybe once every six months just to check in on the equipment, do some routine servicing, whatever you want, okay? And say in that time, say like the day after they last visited, Mick got himself a new fridge for all of his forex because even though he lives in South Australia, he just can't get enough of Queensland beer for some reason. And whether it has something to do with Mick's past and um, intermittent consumption of his own urine and, and the the impact that's had on his palate and what he considers good beer to be, it doesn't matter. The man needs to keep his forex cold. So he's gone and bought himself a new fridge and he's put it right next to the thermometer. No, the thermostat. No, he's put it right next to whatever the probe is that the scientists are using to take the temperature records, and they don't know. And then silly old Mick, what does he do? Leaves the door open to go and fossick for some opals, and, you know, just goes fossicking for like six days and left his fridge door open. The point of this story is that Mick's fridge blasts that temperature gauge with cold air from the fridge while Kubapedi is sweltering at 49 degrees, Everyone's wondering whether the mercury's going to tip the big 5-0. And meanwhile, at Mick's place, it's apparently, you know, 23. And 
We homogenize data to make sure that we don't suddenly think it's 23 degrees in Cooper Pedy in the middle of summer. So, so far as I can tell, Senator Gerard Rennick is very much adamantly arguing for his right to manipulate climate data, which I find just like kind of an astonishing hill to die on. Mind you, he didn't really die on it because, as I say, terribly prolific YouTuber. Um, I think there's probably been 13,000 uploads since then. Uh, and this was only a month ago, but he, he also says the word homogenized. Uh, how many times in a row? I put it all together for both of us. Because as with the Chris Bowen climate change speech where kind of all we can think about is Mark from O'Brien, do you think that chip's too small to worry about? Uh, be, just because, because guys, because we're a product of the 22nd century and that's what our attention spans sometimes do is get very quickly derailed by amusing noises people make when they're not meant to, when they don't mean to. And so of that minute of... Senator Gerard Rennick grilling. Oh, look, see, Gavin Morris says that in 1910, they they sat around the table, one of them had a sausage roll, and when he was finished, he apparently wiped his mouth and he thought, you know what? We need to report the homogenized data, not the raw temperature data. And for some reason, I, I don't know why, but everyone else sat around that table, you know, watched him, watched the crumbs fall off his chin and thought that's a good idea, we'll homogenize the data. And and to hell with the raw data, but we'll tell the people we we put the raw data out anyway. Like what? Like, dude, what are you what are you spending our time talking about right now? Homogenized data from the ABC explaining the difference between the homogenized data and the reports the homogenized data and the actual homogenized data, and that they distinguish between raw and homogenized. <laughs> For him to perform like that is just bananas. It is bananas. Uh, Jez, if you're listening, <laughs> I don't want to dictate that you take elocution lessons, but definitely if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna adamantly fight someone, make sure you're up to speed on the correct pronunciation of the words if you'd like your YouTube audience to pay close attention to your virtues. Because otherwise, all we hear is all we hear is homogenized, and then. You know, only the guy who does an obscure environmental, mental health, climate change, talking to yourself podcast. That's the only guy who's actually going to pay attention and go and figure out what you just said. Uh, because he, got, he was the one who got the most distracted. Sir, would you like $50 to top up your Opal card? There we go. <laughs> How was your Australian A long weekend? Very good. <laughs> what did you get up to? Uh, punched a few cones. Oh, oh, wow. Okay, we'll just start leaving there. So this thing that I remembered, um, the last time you and I just sat down like this to talk, we or maybe it was a few ago, we were talking about soft plastics and Red Cycle going down as a devastating thing to Australian waste standards, to Australian waste morale how good or bad we all feel about the rubbish we're making and the fact that we had no depth for someone to swing in and sustain some sort of large-scale soft plastics recycling scheme is so crushing. It's a crushing blow and there's no way around it. So you and I were trying to reconcile it by thinking, well, maybe this is the wake-up call we need to really get away from plastic because we know now that plastic is making us infertile. The same science, probably not the exact same scientisms as the one that goes out to 
Cooper Pedy with the thermometer, the other ones, other scientists have proven that the higher our exposure to different types of plastic compounds and molecules and whatever scientisms you want, um, the higher our exposure to plastic, broadly speaking, then the less fertile we're becoming. Our gametes are less populous and less activated or something or energized. Like they don't play tennis as much as they used to. They usually kind of sit around instead of go for a walk during golden hour. Like our sperms just don't really want to party the way they used to. And I think the eggs as well in women, or sorry, in humans with uteruses. <laughs> um, but, but it's a very real thing. And so you and I were trying desperately to find a silver lining to red cycle going down. And we settled on the fact, well, sorry, I settled for the both of us on the fact that my friend Huser told me this months ago. And I kind of, I kind of, well, I didn't forget, but I didn't tell you about it at the time until, until this episode ago to whatever it was. And then since then, I listened to another podcast um, of a guy interviewing John Rogan from the John Rogan experience. And they started talking about the same thing. And it turns out on the JRE, he had already talked about this with somebody about plastic and infertility and like, great, like not, not discrediting the, the history of this happening. Uh, and the fact that Rogan has a monopoly on information. Um, but it just like kind of irritates me that people will now think, uh, you know, old roles from TTS just like is ripping off John Rogan now. And I'm so not like, this is so different. Like I hate martial arts guys. It makes me feel a bit sick, actually, watching people fight. And I actually often have to leave the room. Uh, and so, and also, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know if that registers with anybody, but I'd kind of like resent a little bit this real kind of bro culture around certain um, information or, or topics, if you will, or just anything that John Rogan's talked about or talking about. And then... And then people sort of regurgitating it as facts, but very happy to be the first one to deliver it upon somebody else's ears as though they've gone and researched it and not just let the next um, episode roll over. Uh, I don't know why that just got in my head because actually I do know why. It's because I've heard it from my fucking friend Huser, okay? And Huser is just so in the know with this stuff. I bet Huser told Rogan. I'll check in with him about that, um, which and like uh, no drama, obviously. Uh, I mean, it'd be good to know because we've got such similar platforms and audiences that you know it'd be good if Rogan and I didn't talk about the same stuff. But um, but but anyway, that's between me and Huser. Uh, we'll talk about it, you know, amongst ourselves, not on your clock. But just to clarify, with any if anyone actually heard that and was like, ah, oh, here we go, sprung. Sprung, this bloke thinks he's original. He's just copying Rogan. Fuck me, do I need sunglasses? I, I mean, if you want to be crazily cynical, like I am about myself, clearly, <laughs> uh, let's just move. Let's just bloody move on because we've got important headlines to get to that that I've that I've hopefully not. Um, well, I've definitely not intentionally um, plagiarized from elsewhere. These are just pieces of news headlines, in new informations that I think are important. Here we go. Ahem. 
An Australian politician has mispronounced the word homogenized 431 times in 30 seconds. Well, fuck me. Holy fuck. <clears throat> Self-righteous TV host and bickering enthusiast Piers Morgans has eaten a steak on live TV in front of a vegan. Very good. Bit of a signature move from the old Piers Morgan nowadays. Glencore Cole has abandoned a $1.5 billion coal mine proposal in Queensland. Great news. That is fucking huge. That is massive. An outlaw feral cat has been successfully apprehended after kidnapping a crow and a bandicoot, whose families can now find closure. The bloodthirsty animal weighed seven kilos at the time of the arrest. That is fucking huge. That is massive. A man in my neighbourhood has used a $50 note to buy one bottle of water from a vending machine and received change of $44.50 in coins. Instant karma? Or is there more to the story? The situation's dire. And I don't think he's gripped reality in terms of how fucked he is. And finally, a little-known Australian podcast called TTS Trash Talking to Yourself Studios Podcast has been correctly and consecutively predicting the future and it has just happened again. Oh, yeah! Fuck! Uh, oh, oh, you're yeah. it! Fuck oh, off! Oh, he's gonna make that! Yeah! yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, here we go. Often racing... I mean, we have covered um, the homogenized situation. So, I mean, apart from just like, that is a pretty astonishing headline that Australian politician, in the name of the right to misrepresent climate data, has mispronounced the word homogenized many, many times in a row uh, and then congratulated himself on it on YouTube. That's that's all there is to it, and it really is like quite an arresting headline to read. As a That's, that's objective fact right there. Uh, which is what we're all here at TTS Studios for, just objective facts. Just facts, guys. Hey, don't let the truth hurt, you know? It's just reality. It's just the three dimensions that we're all living in, and it's not my uh, thoughts and feelings and experience as a human being that is interfering with the processing of new information and, indeed, the corruption of existing memories so that I can live my life. <laughs> uh, let's go to the number two one, because that's actually kind of probably... As far as needing to mould incoming information to your existing paradigms so that you don't get destabilised to the point where you do something crazy like run naked through your town, um, I mean, not that I would ever consider doing that, but people have been known to do it. People throw soup at paintings. People glue themselves to each other, to heavy machinery. Uh, it's hard to denounce anything anyone else does as a human because we're all humans and who knows what drove them... Um, to such behaviour, but but definitely, if you were invited onto Piers Morgan's show and you sat there, he just berates you, doesn't let you get a word in edgeways. No matter how patient you are, no matter how well-mannered you are, how ingratiating and, I don't know, nice complexion you might have, that the he'll just berate he just berates you and then some studio deckhand person just arrives with a sizzling steak on a plate and plants it in front of 
this like slightly obese, very pale man who's just yelled at you on television. And then he just starts chowing down. Just chowing down on what looks like the most rubbery, horrid excuse for a piece of meat. But such is his vitriol pretending that it is just the juiciest, most tender steak he's ever had. And it is just the perfect way to underscore how little he cares about what you have to say here on his program. The man is unbelievably self-indulgent. <laughs> so shamelessly self-indulgent. And I'll put a link up to this video so you can watch it. But I got a bit trapped for a minute there during the injury when I was just buried in YouTube and and just having my thoughts thought for me by the algorithm. And I just got spoon-fed to my... Uh, <laughs> delight um, just the most contentious Pierce Morgan interviews ever at one point they just kept kept coming and because he the thing is is Pierce Morgans hates the Just Stop Oil activists more than anybody and you and I have spoken so much about that now and about how misguided it is to try and get people to change their minds by pissing them off and how it just will not happen and so Pierce thinks that on on a whole other level and to the point where he invites them on and then just berates them, gets in the stupidest arguments with them where they're like, Pez, Pez, this is an emergency and what we're doing, we realise it's inconvenient, but what we really need to do right now as a community is... But... And he's just like, do you eat avocados? Do you eat avocados? Pierce, Pierce, really, this is an emergency and truly, I know we, we stopped ambulances and it doesn't quite make a whole lot of sense to throw mashed potatoes at each other in uh, I'm uh, an art museum and I know my accent is changing rapidly around the British continent right now, but it's not a continent, but Piers Morgan is just like, do you eat almonds? <laughs> just the most inane playground conversation until this person finally relents and he's just like yes i eat almonds as part of a balanced plant-based diet and then he's like well you're eating almonds that come from drought-stricken california you're eating avocados that come from impoverished mexicans making all sorts of assumptions of his own about about his guests eating habits his guest Imagine inviting someone into your house for this and they're just your guest and all they, all you do when they're there is just scream at them and try and make them feel shit about themselves. Piers Morgans, you're a horrible man in a lot of ways. And for some reason, I couldn't get enough of it while I was in, in the depths of injury. So I, uh, on a personal level, really glad to have cleaned up um, my screen time since then as in just like rapidly reduced it because I'm back um, splashing around in the sea. No matter how much you disagree with Just Stop Oil and no matter how much I agree with you, Pierce's, Pierce, excuse me, that <laughs> you're doing the exact same thing. You're just making everyone so angry, mate. Anyway, uh, let's go on to the next headline, which is a really relevantly exciting one. Glencore Coal abandoning a $1.5 billion mine proposal. It's sad that, it, that it's exceptional. It's also sad that it didn't come off the back of environmental pushback. It came... I mean, that's not sad. It, the reason they pulled back is because it became economically unfeasible. No shit. Uh, uh, it's, it's on the doorstep of the Great Barrier Reef, whose value, uh, as far as being the beating heart slash lung slash pancreas, whatever you want to call the um, the vital organ that is the Great Barrier Reef, uh, whatever you want to consider its role to the planet to be, it's priceless. Hey, 
there's 8 billion of us now. That's a lot of people depending on that pancreas. So, uh, yeah, kind of priceless in my view as a scientism. But I suppose there's more educated people, there's more invested people, there's all sorts of different people who um, disagree on the issue. But I don't know. I just think that it's just, it's bizarre, isn't it? It's almost like draining a, a coal mining basin straight into the doorstep of the Great Barrier Reef is a bad thing. Who would have thought? <laughs> Who would have guessed? And so whatever the reason, it's really exciting to see Glencore Coal pulling out. Uh, hey, be a grown up. You can say pulling. Guys, Glencore Coal has vigorous, uh, has swiftly extracted. Pace of change became too much and quickly withdrew. Uh, it made me, this story actually made me think about a Jordan Peterson conversation I was listening to recently with a guy who is a huge fossil fuel advocate. And I saw it come out, I kind of like, it, it instantly challenged me because the title of this podcast was called The, the, the Great Climate Con or something like that um, and why fossil fuels are going to be an important part of our future. And so I just wanted to challenge myself by listening to something that I instantly feared and ideologically disagreed with without actually hearing. I thought I'd better listen to it. And so I didn't, I didn't agree with everything, but there was one really profound point that was made, which was the colonialism embedded in the fossil fuel controversy of of today and i hadn't thought about that at all but as far as fossil fuels still being the cheapest form of energy for people in developing countries which is indisputable um to deny those countries the use of that energy to lift themselves out of poverty when we that's exactly what developed or western countries have done that just sees this huge, huge humanitarian injustice. And I just hadn't thought about that at all. So I really valued actually hearing this brand new thing, even though it it really challenged me a lot. That's really, I don't know, that's really taken root in my cognition now of the whole issue. Because I knew that it was far too simple and easy to just virtue signal your opposition to fossil fuels and say, no more, and then jump in you know, petrol-powered Super Liberty and um, buy 10 surfboards a year. Um, I mean, hey, everyone's got their thing. Not saying either of... Not saying that I don't like petrol-powered Super Liberties. I actually really do, especially the 90s, the Enduro ones. Um, but... And also I love surfboards. Not sure about 10 of them a year, but there's just so many layers of complexity to the discussion. And... It's very, I suppose, like awkwardly trendy to disagree with fossil fuels and also also scientifically substantiated that renewable energy is our future. But to to be a real zealot and just and just say no more fossil fuels instantly, I'm going to throw um, this can of um, tomatoes down the neck of my colleague while he glues his head to this lovely Van Gogh if we don't just stop using it all immediately. Like just dumb. It's just such a truncated answer to to the problem. Um, no, but pairs, you don't understand. This is an urgent issue. The world is burning before our eyes. Yeah, we we know it is. I I agree. I agree. Um, but geez, I just don't know. I just don't know that throwing food at 
priceless antiquities is gonna ooh, expedite the outcome that you want, fella or or lady or um, person. It's just this is not gonna happen by by. It's not gonna happen with ideologically driven extremities. Hey, Glencore Cole pulled out of Queensland just in the nick of time, and it's great news, and we should just leave it there. And get on to the next story, which is about the Tangaluma Puma. <laughs> a seven kilo feral cat was found, was shot dead, right? It's not been, it hasn't been arrested like Ned Kelly um, in a tense shootout. It, it got killed and they found a full bandicoot and a full crow in its tum-tum. Seven kilos, just to put this into perspective is 18.7 cans of Passiona. Or cans of 4X, sorry. I forgot. Sorry, Mick. Okay, Mick, pick up that can of... Pick up your next can of 4X and then think about, okay, how much does 17 more of these weigh? Oh, about three quarters of a case. That is so heavy for a cat. Cats weigh weigh like negative grams. If you pick up a regular cat, it makes you lighter. They're made of marshmallows or something... It, they, they weigh nothing. And so a seven kilo cat has got to be, that's just, that is the ultimate killing machine. And on Morton Island as well is where this was, where this was, um, where the arrest took place uh, and where the families of these victims can now, um, like I suppose the bandicoots have been wondering and putting up flyers and really nervous about Uncle Pete and... Our thoughts are with them and um, and the murder of crows, also missing a, a family tribe member. But hey, it's over now. At least we know it was the Tangaluma Puma, and it's somewhere deep in the ocean, maybe or maybe just in John's backyard, or maybe he maybe he what's the word stuffed it, uh, taxidermied it, and maybe the Tangaluma Puma is somewhere. You know what? I'll research that. I'll find out. And if the Tangaluma Puma... I really hope they did, actually. That... As if you wouldn't. If you had in your local... Uh, a feral cat called the Tangaluma Puma and then it was killed in court. Surely that's got to get stuffed and, and put up at the pub. That's got to be above the front door. It's got to be... There's got to be a Tangaluma hotel that, that would pay good money for that. So, oh, anyway, I'll research that... Um, in my own time and report back. And of course, if it does exist, we will be making a, an excursion there post haste uh, to see it. Seven, I don't think seven kilos, like I was trying to envision that and think about picking up a case of beer and taking a six pack out and oops, that's still quite heavy. Uh, wow. Incredible, incredible stuff. Um. <laughs> I forgot about this headline. Uh, I chucked this one in there uh, right before I started recording because I couldn't help myself. Um, a man in my neighborhood has used a $50 note to buy one bottle of water from a vending machine. And it was this hugely beautiful, um, tumultuous journey through the human experience observing all of this. I, I really experienced the full spectrum of of raw human emotions here, both in myself and I'm pretty sure in the in the bloke that bought it. So I was I was at the station, leaning on a vending machine, a very crowded station, and then um, I just heard the vending machine start dispensing coins, 
and it was just coin after coin after coin. And then I realized like, oh, oh dear, someone's just fed something large. And sure enough, glanced up to see a middle-aged guy in suit, uh, like a suit shirt. Is that a thing? What's it? Whatever a shirt, a collared shirt. A collared shirt that you wear under a suit. Is that just a shirt? So it's a middle-aged man in a shirt, believe it or, believe it or not. Um, and he's got a condensating bottle of water in one hand. And in the other hand, he's just kind of like intermittently poking through the little drawer just to, I guess, like stroke the coins in there before trying to get them out. And I just, I, you know what I did? It's kind of amazing I saw any of this in retrospect because I was so high up on a high horse that that I must have pulled out the tiny binoculars that I have in my pocket at all times to witness this. Because as soon as it happened, I saw this high horse with an empty saddle and I just thought, that's me, dude, 100%. Hey, you deserve this, bruh. You deserve this. Is this how thirsty you are? And just like got on such, like all in my head, of course, I'm completely silent, really. But in my head, I'm just thinking, this is this is instant karma. It's not a dash cam, but actually dash this is a real life dash cam that I'm watching in real person. Instant karma, where were you that disorganized that you didn't have your bottle of water uh, or you can't, you're just like above finding a tap. I mean, the ferry's not for f- like 16 minutes, dude. There's bathrooms, there's soap in there, wash your hands, have a quick slug, wait until you get somewhere. I, I don't know. I just like, for me, the bottled water thing, it's just so easy to relegate that into the out of bounds purchasing territory where you just like, oh yeah, nah, that's kind of dumb. Oh, I can live without that. Definitely. I can figure myself out. I can have a bottle or I can transport water accordingly to not need, even if it's a recycled bottle, just to like, hey, I want my sperms to be active and out on the town, catching up with friends, playing their tennis games again and just being like not killed by plastic. So I'm trying to get rid of as much of it as in, in my life as I can, please. I just don't need the water. So as you can tell from that um, horrifically embarrassing diatribe, I was so high up on a high horse watching this happen. And then I realized how high up on the horse I was. And I thought, okay, well, this is bad. It was really bad to just react so emotionally and ideologically and, and sort of just generate this enmity or animosity that just doesn't need to be there when, I mean, he's got no idea that I'm even thinking about it because he's kind of safely assuming everyone is just deep in TikTok at the station, uh, the ferry station. Ferry station? Ferry wharf. At the ferry stop. Fair enough, he probably didn't think anyone was paying attention, but especially, sorry, especially didn't think that I would be paying attention in, in this much detail. Especially. Uh so I noticed, so I realized about myself that I really need to just at least pay attention to that reaction being like this kind of, kind of Pierce Morgan's-esque, like on the line, like on the, it's earlier in the stops, but it's the same line, same ferry. Uh, and I really need to try, like, let's, and you know what I thought to myself? I thought, you know, Rolls, we need to just, let's imagine how to forgive this person for their transgressions they don't know they have. So dumb. Uh, but do you know what I mean? Like, how can I how can I imagine that this is an exceptional situation? And so I started really profiling this guy. And it turns out that, um, unbeknownst to him, his name is actually George. And George 
just lives this undercover life where he just cannot stop thinking about climate change. He can't stop. It's His eco-anxiety has just gotten so pervasive and unrelenting and he just lives his whole life just kind of stressed out. Just this bubbling latent stress that overlays his entire existence. And he could have just driven into the city, but he chose to get a, fer- a bus and then a ferry and then got to the ferry stop and realized that he had left his bottle at the bus wharf and devastated because that's, I mean, that's a bottle that George has had for 16 years. He remembers the guy who gave it to him without really thinking when he was um, at that festival and how weirdly meaningful that became. And then the longer that time's worn on, the greater the value of the bottle, um, even though visually the greater the decrepitude as well. But it just became this really valuable bottle that suddenly he's left at the at the bus wharf and he's at the ferry stop thinking, fuck, I'm so dehydrated. I'm going to start making bad decisions if I don't drink some water. I need some water. And and George is actually also a huge hypochondriac. And, and or in fact, maybe just has a very legitimate... Um, susceptibility disorder something whatever it was that made people worse around covid remember <laughs> remember that ancient history when covid happened and there were certain people who suffered or were a lot more vulnerable sorry vulnerable especially uh especially george who's exceptionally vulnerable to covid and so doesn't want to go into the public toilets to get a slug of water but every second that's ticking past he's getting more and more dehydrated and he's exercising his brain nonstop as he always does, cataloging his whole life and indexing his behavior and thinking, how can I make my footprint even smaller than it already is? And and then he's got some douche on a high horse next to him, silently judging him for buying a bottle of water with a $50 note. And then, and then like, again, silently to, to myself, to my to all myself just like kind of silently mocking the um like receiving $44.50 in coins i mean objectively very funny that is very funny but so so this is what i mean i had this full spectrum journey of human experience trying to forgive george for what he didn't know he did to me <laughs> and so the story's not done that yet though so so then I've thought all these thoughts and tried to revise my attitude and, and really just forgive forgive this fellow human being who's just riding the spaceship with me at this present moment. And then what happens? Along comes his wife, taps him on the shoulder. He just stands up, instantly gives her the bottle of water. She quickly unscrews it and just begins drinking. And he, without without a word, just turns back the the coins are still just coin 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 just filling up that little box and doesn't breathe a word of it and and then and so then i'm just thinking like is that just the truest love you've ever seen rolly is that just the most romantic gesture that could have struck my little heartstrings in that moment when so I've gone from the high horse to just the George apologist to then just like Rachel McAdams in a rom-com just loving it just falling in love with this situation and watching them and just in like yeah I don't know I just thought that was such a journey such a journey and and just kind of um 
I don't know. I think my, I think the whole takeaway I took away from it was just like, be kinder, be kinder to people and just approach everything just with a bit more, uh, give everyone a bit more privacy. <laughs> That's the real moral of the story. Hey, Ross, just like leave people alone. Stop staring. Uh, live your life. How about that for a change? Instead of, um, let's just finish this. <laughs> let's just finish this podcast. Uh, oh yeah. Hey, huge. Not that huge. Well, a little bit huge. Trash Talking to Yourself Studios podcast, Lucky Roland Studios has developed something of a reputation for correctly and accurately anticipating the future before it arrives. And that's just this, oh, this gift that you and I like unwrapped and keep unwrapping it. It's like a gift that just rewraps itself and we just get to keep undoing the wrapping all over again each time it happens and it never stops feeling great. Uh to have our finger on this clairvoyant pulse of the universe and be foreseeing things, um, you know, before they arrive. And so we taught, you can verify this if you want, I think probably, maybe not, actually. No, you probably can. I mean, like everything I've recorded into this silly microphone by myself is, is on the internet. And you can go, you can just find it. Dear Internet, hey, um, my name's whatever. I'm looking for this episode of Trash Talking Studios, like a rolling podcast where he talks about Cake Electric Bikes. There's a company called Cake uh, who make these incredible electric motocross bikes, motorbikes that look like supercross bikes, like insanely capable, off-road, quick, um, sleek. They're like, they're like the iPads of motorbikes. Uh, and they're electric. And it's just been this thing that we talked about. I mean, not too long ago, we talked about this. The the convergence of electric mountain bike technology and electric motorbike technology just arriving somewhere in the middle of this ultimate utilitarian two-wheeled machine that will be so functional for such a wide range of uses. And we actually specifically speculated about national park rangers using cake bikes Hey guys, fast forward four years, National Park Rangers are using cake bikes. Not in Australia yet, mind you, but I think it's in, it's in Africa. I know it's definitely in Africa. I think it might be Zimbabwe or Kenya or somewhere, but there, the, the cake bike has just been this huge revolution in these rangers abilities to patrol poaching and just survey the health of the ecosystem that they're stewarding and the fact that these e-bikes these cake bikes are so quiet they manage to sneak up on poachers without alerting them to like the ambush because i mean think about it the poacher is carcassing up something beautiful i guess oh gross Uh, but then here's the rumbling of some tdi old defender with john and jim you know ready to come out and hold them to account but of course they're in a defender so they're going only 25 k's an hour and making approximately 249 decibels of noise and so the poachers have so much time to finish carcassing up their beautiful creatures and get out of there but now with the cake bikes the rangers have the element of surprise and they've been making these huge amount of arrests and great inroads into preventing elephant tusks and lion manes and all of these like revolting artifacts that people revere and for some reason want spread out on their living room floor. Ugh. Uh, 
so sweet. And the sweetest part of all is that TTS Studios called it like a play-by-play. Off the bottom and off the top and shuts this one down. <laughs> we did. We shut it down. This is... It's incredible that this keeps happening. You know, every time it happened, I used to feel compelled to go through all the times it's happened to legitimize it. But now I've actually lost track. I've lost track. This has got to be the seventh or eighth time in a row that that we've specifically called the future. And so uh, it's just great to be with you here. I'm stoked that it, we're like an almost an hour in. We might even be more than an hour in. I can't crane my neck to the left to see uh, because I'm podcasting from the truck of my cab from the cab of my truck sorry so i mean this is a high fidelity operation here but i don't know how long we've been talking but but we have and we're both still here and it means that you must share with me some degree of optimism about what's going on here and just defiance of this supposed future where we have to throw our hands up and think oh well the world's fucked what are we? <laughs> let's go get a beer I mean, like, it's so not. There's amazing stuff happening. And, oh, this could have been another headline, for example. I read another story recently about CSIRO scientists on a boat trip, so having a hell time, and then coming across this huge graveyard was almost, I think that was how they referred to it, but it's almost like a graveyard full of fossilized shark teeth. And they didn't know whether it was just this like whether some cult mass suicide had gone on and all the sharks just like left together there and whatever their reasons were and okay, or whether the currents had swept them all there or whether there was like a huge shark shootout and just chipped teeth everywhere. But the biggest um, takeaway was they found a tooth that used to belong to an 18 meter shark. Hey, 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 hey. Yes, just stop for a second and just fathom that. 18 meters is almost the biggest wave that's ever been surfed. So think about surfing down that wave and the wave is actually a shark and that's how big the shark used the sharks used to be on earth. And they're not anymore. Guys, they're not a, we, the world is a good place. It is a good place and getting better in some ways. It is getting better. I mean, can you imagine being on that CSIRO boat? <laughs> where they're they're already on a boat trip they're having a sick time and then someone just comes back to the surface just with this tooth in a fist or maybe it was two fists to hold it up and maybe he was having to like kick hard to stay tread water because the tooth was so massive and maybe it was like gold plated because that particular shark used to have mad street cred but think about that boat trip someone's just broken the surface with this enormous fossilized tooth. Yeah, I'm gonna snarl it. Oh, yeah! Fuck! Uh, oh, oh, yeah. Fuck oh, I just want to go on a boat trip so badly. Alright, hey, time to leave it there. Um, thank you so much for listening to Trash Talking Studios. Uh, because, I mean... I feel like the positive stuff needs a bit more airtime, which is why I'm here. I guess why you're still here. Thank you again for still being here. Because I mean, I also know that you must have had to grit your teeth and just oh, hope we move on to something soon um, at various moments of the last hour of our lives. And so for your tenacity and perseverance, um, thank you very much for listening 
and and I really appreciate it. And if you want to tell someone else about it or um, share my GoFundMe called Emu Parade Charity Coffee Cleanups, uh, I'd really appreciate that too. So, but but like I appreciate you no matter what. So that's it. Um, homogenize you later, guys. And that, my dear, is fucking delicious.